25 years ago, I was leading our board, our church board, as we discovered our mission and put it into words 25 years ago, and it was helping people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And that was a journey, and we worked really hard on that. And what we were learning mostly in those days was how important it is for a local congregation to know what its mission was, what its assignment from God was, what it was running after. And since, in those past 25 years, it's really dawned on me how significant that is. One, we get our horses, our leaders, our donors, all lined up in the same direction, chasing after the same goal that God has given us. And number two, when we as a congregation understand what God has assigned us, then what it does is it frees us up to celebrate what God has assigned Heartland Vineyard and Prairie Lakes and Redeemer and Candale and Nazareth Lutheran. You see, if we don't know what God's called us to do, then when we see another church doing something, we go, maybe we should be doing that. Maybe we should do it as good as they do. But when we understand God has given us an assignment and our focus is on the assignment he's given us, then we can just, with joy, run after that mission we're on, that assignment he's given us, and we don't have to worry about others. In fact, we can look across the street at Bethany Chapel and we can go, yay, God, they're doing their deal. They're doing what God has called them to do. And so I, I'm, I'm uh, enthusiastic, is, a, is an understatement, about this new mission statement. Helping next generations... Encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. I'm totally excited. I love the specificity of it. I practice saying that word several times. Specificity um, of it. Helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus. And, you know, for many years we've been a mission-focused uh, congregation. People ask me uh, years back, what's different about Orchard? And I would say, well, uh, one of the key differences is we are on a mission. And so 40 years ago, when we actually burned the first um, a mortgage to our first little building down here, when we burned that, the congregation said, what are we going to do with this monthly money that's been coming in? And they decided as a congregation 40 years ago, we're going to put a missionary on the UNI campus. We're going to take that money we were putting into building and we're going to put it in a missionary. And so for 40 years, in fact, that was innovative because it was the first local congregation, not a denomination, the first local congregation to actually send a missionary to a state university in the state of Iowa. And so we've been a church on a mission. When I was hired here uh, 30 years ago, uh, the team that hired me gave me a blank piece of paper and said, Dave, what would you want to do about kids in this community? I said, I want to work with other churches. I want to build a coalition. We're on a mission. And even now, our big house and our chaos uh, on Wednesday nights are a cooperative of churches, and kids from lots of different churches are involved. Why is it? Because it fits our mission. Not because everybody else is doing it, because everybody else is not doing it. But it fits who God's called us to be. Why are we in such an uh, innovative partnership with Nazareth for so many years? Because we believe God has called us to that kind of a ministry. Does he call everybody to that? No. But he's called us to that. During the 80s, and there was a farm crisis, and when I moved to town, there were five houses on my streets for sale. The guy who sold me his house was in the church and took a big loss on it. I mean, things were going downhill. And this church board and congregation approved the building of a new sanctuary down the hall, right in the midst of that downturn. And people were going, you're nuts! They're going, well, look, the room we worship in is full twice. We need more room. 
God has had us on a mission. So the, the idea of a mission is not new. But this particular mission, which really is the same true north as we've had before, is new words, and we want to talk about that. Today, my job is to talk about the first phrase, three words, um, helping next generations. Because what I believe is that can be where some of the confusion can be. What, what does helping next generations mean? Does that mean everything about our church is about young people? Uh, no. I want to begin by defining next generations. Next generations is the generation that's following you. So if you're in your 70s and 80s, I'm your next generation. And if you're my age, 60s, the next generation would be my children who are in their 30s and 40s. And if you're 30s and 40s, what's your next generation? It would be that next one coming. So next generations is not just young people, although this mission means we can never turn our eyes and take our eyes and effort off of young people. We'll never be able to do that as a church with this mission. But it doesn't mean the only next generation that we're talking about is um, younger people. Um, it does say we'll never ignore them. And then there's another part of this, which is younger in faith. Not younger in age, but younger in faith. So I'm out in the lobby uh, right before Christmas, and oh, I think it was after Christmas, a grandma comes to me. And she's a little older than I am, I believe. If you're in the room, I might have got that age wrong. Uh, and she says, Dave, I got my first Bible. Where do I start reading? Now, this is a grandma. And I said, well, you don't want to start with Genesis. Why don't you start in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark? And then she says, okay, I'll do that. And then she says, do you know why I'm in church? And she points over to her daughter and her grandkids. And she says, they brought me. They have the faith. I'm learning. See, who's the next generation in that case? Grandma. Because she's new to faith. And this is like way biblical. And let me um, uh, take you to a couple places. Uh, let me tell you one more story first. Now, when we share with next generations, it's a mutuality deal. It's not like I share, I help next generations because I have all the answers. I remember as a youth director, I would go and uh, teach other youth directors. And afterwards, they'd come up to me and say, Dave, where did you learn all this stuff? What book did you read? And I would say, I didn't read a book. The teenagers at Cedar Falls High School, they taught me everything I know about youth ministry. Do you get that part? When you're helping somebody, you're not just the teacher, you're also the learner. And that's so important as we talk about helping next generations. It's like there's this mutual learning, growing thing. Right now, I'm learning a lot from my grandkids who are between 1 and 11 years old. You say, well, what can you learn from little kids? Oh, my goodness. You can learn a lot. A lot of important things from little kids. A lot. And so it doesn't mean the person who's helping has all the answers. But it does mean that we're in this learning and our focus is going to be helping next generations. So Bill Rosenberg was the old pastor who actually retired in the church before Ed Baker was hired. So we're talking years ago. And uh, Bill retired and he stayed in the church and he did some visiting and he loved the older folks. And one day when we had our college service going down in the other end of the building, Bill was there out in the lobby and it was drums going and all this, which was all new to Orchard. And here's this old guy, Dutch. He puts his arm around me and he goes, Dave. You sure know how to get college kids in this place, don't you? I had very little to do with it. Uh, and then he had a gleam in his eye, because he was Dutch. And he said, Dave, tell me which service offerings are the biggest. 
Is it the traditional 8.30 service with the old people or the college kids? Which give the most money? I said he was Dutch. I said, Bill, here's the deal. The college kids in the room right now worshiping God give the people in the 8.30 service a reason to give. And said, oh, okay. You know, all I'm saying is that we're going to focus resources on next generations because um, that's, uh, th- that's the call God has on us. So um, this is way biblical. I want to begin with uh, an obvious verse from 2 Timothy. Paul, the apostle, is writing to Timothy and he says this. Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Okay, so there's the example of a three-generation family where the faith is being passed down. You know, first we've got, you know, Grandma Lois, then Mother Eunice, and now Timothy. You need to fan into flame the gift of faith you have. So that's one kind of next generation. It's by age. But now I want to go to uh, uh, first, first Corinthians... Uh, four, and we have this on the slide. Look at this slide. It's Paul, the same writer. He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Now, Paul was never married. So who are these dear children? Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. What Paul is saying here is, hey, I've got kids and I'm your father because I helped you come to faith. And some of those people who came to faith may have been older than Paul. This is the second category of next generation. So it's not just grandma, mother, kid. It's also Paul shared the faith. People became uh, followers of Christ and he became their father. Then look what he says about Timothy. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've set you, Timothy, my son, whom I love. Now, there's my son, my son. See, so that's that other spiritual kind of age, spiritual kind of faith. So next generations is um, age and then it's spiritual sharing. Now, I want to remind you of something amazing. Um... Uh, Acts 13.36 says this. Now when David, we have a slide. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried, and, and with his ancestors, and his body decayed. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried, and his ancestors, with his ancestors, and his body decayed. Okay, so now the first, the first point I'm trying to make here is this. Helping next generations, one, God always eventually works through next generations. That's the way he built the world. God always eventually works through next generations. Why? Because one day, my life here is going to end. And actually this week I started thinking of people's names, of people whose lives here, but they invested heavily in the church. And I thought of these names. Just, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. Johanna Heinga, Walt Heinga, Bill Rosenberg, John Itzen, Jean DeBeer. And the list could go on and on. Who strived after the mission of this church. And then just like King David, their life came to an end here on earth. And it's done. And so you are also going to be that person. Now, I'm getting older, so when you're older, you do weird things. I've started saving the bulletins from the funerals I attend. Now, stay with me here. And the reason I do it 
is because now I have that folder, and once in a while I thumb through those. And just remember the faithful servants of God who have served God in their generation, and now their service is over. It's interesting. It's interesting. God always eventually works through next generations. That's one reason we as a church have to be focused on next generations. Second thing, God commands us to intentionally steward next generations. Not only does he eventually work through them, but he, in, we are to intentionally do it. Here's the verse, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It's a four-generation verse. We have a slide. And the things that you've heard me say, this is Paul again, writing to Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So where's the four generations? Paul, Timothy, teaching reliable men and women. For what? So that they can teach others. Four generations. So God, Paul, through Paul, is saying, hey, you've got to be intentional about this next generation thing. You don't just teach one. You teach, I taught you, you teach others, they teach others, next generations. We happen to be a church of a five generations at times. We have a lot of three-generation families in the church. We've had some four-generation families in the church. And uh, it's a powerful thing. As we were trying to figure out God's call on us as a church and God's call on you as members of our church, uh, there were a lot of things that factored into this. Uh, Pastor Ed and Sally, who have just retired, and myself and my wife Linda, it's pretty clear as you analyze our lives that the four of us have been called to next generations. You can't think we haven't. Ed... Uh, who's teaching at the other end right now. I mean, even in the last couple years, what's he been doing on his own? He's been having young adults in his home at night with, for a Bible study, and many of you have been there. Now, why does he do that? Because he feels this call to pass the baton of faith to new younger people. Uh, Sally, where she puts so much of her effort? Have you ever heard of square one? It's like, how does a new Christian learn about the Bible? Next generation. My wife, Linda, uh, 30 years, she's been showing up one morning a week in this church for this Mom's Morning Out program. Where do you get the energy for that for 30 years? It's a call from God to pass the baton to next generations. And I still more come alive when I walk in a uh, room with teenagers. I come alive and i like, wow. There's something powerful here. So one of the places we looked was we looked at our leaders over the past 30 years. And then one day I remember uh, one of the staff coming in and saying, Dave, did you realize that almost every full-time staff we had hired at that point, it's not true now, had been a youth director? It's like, wow, that's interesting. Um, This morning... One of the guys, he brought a card that he had gotten, and it looked like it had come from a kid. This happened just this morning by the coffee shop. And he shows me this card, and he says, do you think I could meet this kid? Because it was a really cool card, and it was written, and it seemed like it came from our two-year-old class. And I flipped it over, and it wasn't from a kid. It was from Christina Rich. I said, well, this is going to be surprising to you. Uh, Christina is not one of the kids. Christina is 97 years old. She is about this high. Um, But she wrote you the card. Now, why is Christina at 97 still welcoming second graders, uh, two-year-olds, to the class? 
Because that's been her call. She was a kindergarten teacher. Now she's working in the church. So there's all kinds of pictures of that. Now, here's the interesting thing about the two-year-old class going on right now across this wall. Is it's not just Christina at 97 and my wife and Deb Lindemann, who are uh, 60s, 50s, 60s. Um, It's also like uh, 7th and 8th and 9th and 10th graders who are with those two-year-olds. And what are they doing? They're helping next generations. So it's incredibly cool. On the Monday, Thursday service that happened about 10 days ago in this very room, I was sitting right over there. Carla Chestnut was in back of me. Five college students shared their faith stories. And Carla edged up and put her arm around me and said, Dave, did you hear what those college kids said about their grandparents? And I reflected, three of five had said that their grandparents had played a major role in their faith journey. Three of five. And Carla said, wow, we got to be faithful as grandparents, don't we? I said, you bet we do. And so do you. Next generations. we got to be faithful. So um, God always eventually works through next generations. God commands us to intentionally steward next generations. God calls us to continue in what we've learned and become convinced of. One night I was up reading First and Second Timothy over and over again. I used to read it a lot as a young leader. And I was up and I was reading and I felt like God, God wanted to say something to me, but I read it two or three times and I wasn't seeing what he wanted to say to me. And then I got to 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is the middle of the night, verse 14, and it says this, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it. And that phrase, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of just popped off the page. It's like, what have I learned and become convinced of? What is it that I've learned and become convinced of? I actually brought this to our teaching team this past Thursday. I said, when it comes to teaching, what is it you've learned and become convinced of? And one of the things I would say right at this point is I've become convinced that back in Deuteronomy... When God was giving instructions for how parents and grandparents and family members and even churches ought to uh, pass the baton of faith, it says this. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. begins in our homes. No church is going to be able to make up for a home where Jesus is not lifted up and his Bible is not declared. When we baptize babies and these parents are making these commitments, do you remember the questions we ask? Will you name Jesus as Savior? Will you make your home a place where the Bible's read and learned? And will you do everything about your house to make it a place where Jesus is lifted up and so that one day kids will come to know Christ personally for themselves. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. Number four, God calls us to take practical steps as a church and a people. 
I want to name a couple of practical steps that you might be able to take. Number one, four letters. I see in you. I see in you. This is a call up to our kids and our grandkids and our young church leaders. When a leader comes to them and says, Hey, 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 Kurt, I see in you. I see in you these things. When I go to my kids and they're doing a great job of raising their kids and I go to Ben or Joel or Jason or M and I say, uh, Hey, I see in you this faithfulness to being a dad. I see in you this sacrifice as a husband. I see in you this man of God. Do you know what that does in the heart of a young person? It calls them up. It affirms them. And we all have people in our lives today who need for us to like just grab them a minute and say, I want to tell you something. I see in you this faithfulness. I see in you this perseverance. I see in you this love of God. And as a church, we need to be doing that with our teenagers and our middle schoolers and our grade schoolers. And as parents and grandparents, we need to be doing this with our family. I see in you. I need to do it with Jeff and Doug who are stepping up to lead this church into the future. I need to say, and I do, often by email, Jeff and Doug, I see in you. I see in you faithfulness. I see in you sacrifice. I see in you a heart for God and for your family. And what happens? I, at my age, I still have people who do it to me. They'll come, they'll put their arm around me, and they'll go, Dave, I see in you. And even as old as I am and having led as long as I have, it still has deep meaning when people do that. So do it. Make yourself a person that does that. Second thing, I would just say, share your faith story and your answers to prayer. It's, um, it struck me lately in my own family and then in our families as a church that God has done so many things in our lives, but we quit to it telling those stories. So we need to gather our kids around the kitchen table some night. And we need to say, I want to tell you the story again of how, how and why I came to faith. How and why I've been serving in the church for so long. How and why we give our money to this work at the church. How God answers prayers. Even when it doesn't go the way we want. See, this is next generation investment. This is what we're committed to as a church. Why do we have stories from the seats? Because we know this is important. You have to tell the story. The stories didn't stop when the New Testament ended. God is alive. He doesn't just make, let's see, Alice said, he makes dead people alive. And he does it right while we're living here too. He makes us alive, more fully alive. The third thing I would just want to say is memorials and traditions. Set memorials and traditions. Um... I was looking at my desk in my office, and I was thinking if somebody came in and looked at my desk, what would they find out about me? And there's so many weird little things in there. But they point to God. You know, I'm on a ski hill. I've got my arm around my wife on a picture. I've, I've got this little plaque thing. Then, and I'm not a plaque person, but you get all these things and you put them up there. And 
But you need to figure out what is it about your life that uh, expresses, it's like a memorial or a tradition. What is it about the end of the school year that you do that maybe could point your kids to God a little bit? Or Christmas, decorating the Christmas tree. What is it about how you do that that could point your kids to God a little bit? Or the way you do your Easter egg hunt. Or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. All kinds of ideas floating out there. But the idea is, if we're going to be intentional about helping next generations, then everything we do has to be of help to them. So here's the conclusion. Uh, Two questions. Do you agree with this clear mission. Now, this might not be a fair question because we've got three more weeks to explain it. But it's really the question of the series. Because are you glad to be in a church where helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world, are you happy that's the mission of our church? And will you keep um, giving, will you join us in that mission? Will you keep giving, keep volunteering, keep praying? to help us do that. Because we are convinced, we are convinced that it's the mission God's given us. We're convinced it's been his mission for us for 53 years, and we're convinced the next 10 years, it's his mission for us. And uh, we hope this series will help you grasp that. I'm convinced, uh, to the core of my being, that uh, this is the mission God has for us. I am convinced. Cut me open, and it's really who I am. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for the privilege of standing up here and declaring a mission from you. Thank you so much that you give us important, important work to do while we're here on earth. Thank you so much that you give us a reason to give our money. Thank you so much that uh, you uh, want us to surrender to you to help next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. And as we sing a couple worship songs now, Father, uh, help these, help this real worship come towards you. And then as we leave the doors of this building... Could we go and be on mission? In Jesus' name, amen.